Lord, you are good. You are faithful and you are true. And we celebrate you this morning. Thankful um, just for your goodness to us. Thankful that you uh, will never leave us or forsake us. Thankful for all of our moms. And uh, just pray that they would feel especially blessed and cherished and honored today. And uh, Lord, we just offer these songs to you. Pray for ears to hear your word. Just um, that it would uh, go into our hearts, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you all. All right. Morning. Okay, kids, so, ooh, I sound a little loud, a little, little echo there. But, uh, all right, kids, so when you're thirsty, where do you go to get something to drink? At house, at the house? You go in the refrigerator, right? Right, you go in the refrigerator? So I go into the refrigerator at home and to get some water. Now, we like this, this bubbly water here, okay? So see, it says right here on the can, it says bubbly. I know it's not spelled right for all of you, but that's what it is. And it's got little bubbles on it. And it's, it's bubbly water, okay? Now, there's two cans in the refrigerator, right? They both say the same thing on them. One of them is red and one of them is pink. One of them is cherry flavored and one of them is grapefruit flavored. I thought it was going to be bubble gum. I was a little disappointed, but that's okay, right? So here's the thing. I like them both. But on my way to the refrigerator, I can only take one, right? I can't take them both. And Miss Angie's on the couch watching TV and she says, hey, why don't we share that water? Now, I know that she likes them both too, but I think she likes this one a little bit better than this one. And if you can keep a secret, I like this one a little bit better than this one. Okay? So I have to make a choice. So which one is the right one for me to choose? Yes. Which one? This one? The cherry one? Cherry one because I like it? Yeah, okay. Sam? Oh, I should pick the pink one because it's sharing. Isaac, is that what you think? Yeah, but we're going to share. I like the long-term thinking there. I do like that. Okay, so why am I talking about this? Well, today what we're going to be talking about in big church is we're going to be talking about making choices. Okay, and they're much bigger choices than just what flavor water that I'm going to drink. But our choices that we make, we should stay focused on Jesus. And what Jesus teaches us is that we should love others the way we want to be loved. And so Sam is right in that if I want to love like Jesus, and I can only pick one that I'm going to share with Miss Angie, I should take the one that I know she likes better. Because I like it just fine, even though it's not bubblegum flavored, okay? I do like it, and that way it'll make her happy, right? So that's kind of the thing. But most importantly is this, what I want you to remember. Okay, you're always going to make choices, good choices, 
Sometimes you're going to make bad choices. We do that. Jesus always loves you. So when you're, this week, when you're thinking about the different things that you're going to say, what you're going to do, who you're going to, you know, hang out with, all those choices, all of that, I want you to choose what you think Jesus would want you to do. Okay? Can you remember that? All right. That's all I got for you. So you can disappear in a cloud of dust off to class because they got something fun going on back there today. Um, so, uh, you know, one of my favorite things about this is the kids' message. And I have to say that the kids are just super enjoyable, and, and that's in large part to the moms. And today's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, and thank you for your children who are the, the joy of my experience. And um, I, I really do mean that. And dads, I'm not discounting you, but you have to wait a month. So um, you, you'll get your... Uh, attaboys next month uh, during Father's Day. But uh, So hello everyone, welcome. Um, as Clay said, it is Mother's Day. It is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Um, my sister Bonnie's in Florida, so I'm saying a quick hello to her. My mom is watching. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. My twin brother is watching, so watch this here. Say, I hope that the closed caption is working because I can't sign and preach at the same time. Okay, that's all I got. All right, so hopefully he got that and, and he got a laugh out of that. But uh, anyway, um, we're continuing this week. He told me that it would take me three more years before I could sign and preach at the same time. So three more years. <sighs> I don't know. We'll see. So we're continuing this week in our uh, our series and the gospel are actually not continuing we're like great gymnasts we are going to stick the landing today this is our last week in mark's gospel in this series entitled the way and last week we looked at this instance where jesus and his disciples his three disciples were were coming down um the mountain and the rest of his disciples were were unable to cast a demon out of, of a boy and the, this was despite the realization that Jesus had told them that they were going to be foundational in building this amazing church this new thing that even the gates of Hades would not be able to stand against and, and that, that begged the question of our own place in Jesus's authority I mean, we've already pondered who Jesus is to us We've asked that question, but who are we in his ministry? What sort of authority and power do we have? And, and do we feel worthy or Christian enough to meet those needs? So this week, as we conclude our time in Mark's Gospel, we're going to be looking at the events leading up to and surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection through Mark's telling. Now, I know that we just celebrated Easter a few weeks ago, and so this is kind of fresh in our minds, but today the focus is actually going to look at certain individuals around this story and the choices that they made. Christ's last day was fulfilled through choices for all involved, and many chose wrongly, quite frankly. Thankfully, Jesus willingly chose death. For our salvation so let me pray for us as we get started this morning father i just um come to you now and ask for your um your word uh to reach our hearts and lord i, I pray for those who 
are unable to be here. Um, I know that the pages are, are recovering from, from sickness, but they are watching online. I got a text from Cliff this morning. Thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for um, uh, just their, uh, their faithfulness in that. Uh, also, the, the Burkitts, uh, Sarah's sick, so God, please keep her in your prayers as well. Um, we missed Megan this morning, uh, Lord. Um, we, we missed her uh, fulfilling you know, that part that she does, not just her beautiful voice, but kind of helping to keep everything sort of flowing up there. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to give Megan um, the rest and the peace um, that, that she needs, Lord. Uh, as, as Clay mentioned this morning, sort of like a, a Sabbath for her, a mental Sabbath. And so we just pray and uh, thank you that uh, she's able to do that. And we missed her. Uh, this morning, Lord, and uh, just let her know that. And uh, so we lift these prayers up to you. We just ask that you be with us this morning, that you speak to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's it's been said that life is just a series of choices. Until a believer sees Jesus face to face, choices are constantly before them. The great C.S. Lewis said, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that, that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature either into a, a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or another. So basically what he's saying here is that every choice we make, no matter how seemingly insignificant, is having an effect on who we will become. Lewis's quote seems a little bit extreme, doesn't it? I mean, surely if I chose the, <laughs> the cherry water, it's not going to affect my overall morality but when we start to investigate the why I chose whether I chose it because I was being selfish or I chose the other one because I love my wife it does have an impact even those of us who just sort of glance at these casual choices and wonder and Lewis is actually talking about our moral choices those things that that impact us slowly over time like erosion they just sort of wear us down they turn us into one thing or into another you remember the first of the ten commandments in exodus chapter 20 verse 3 it says you shall have no other gods before me i remember as a, as a child uh learning the ten commandments and being kind of struck by that one because i thought well there aren't any other gods. There's only our God. There is our God. Not being sophisticated enough and worldly enough to understand the truth that, uh, and I've heard this said before, 
that if you if you ever break this one, it's or, yeah. If you ever break this one, it's it's highly likely that you'll begin to break the others. If you never break this one, it's highly unlikely that you will break the other nine commandments. Because if your God is God, then you stay focused. When I take the wheel from Jesus, then we're going off-roading. That's just what's going to happen. We're going to go way, way out into the weeds. And I'm far more likely to become susceptible to breaking one of the other nine. Now, Mark's prelude to Jesus' passion, it interlaces three events that's uh, beginning in Mark 14. All right, so we're going to begin in Mark 14, right at the first verse. It says this, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. This choice to arrest, to kill Jesus, because he was perceived as a threat, was, it was not a spur-of-the-moment reaction. It wasn't an emotional response that there was no forethought to. It was planned. It was a planned choice. It says they even knew not to grab Jesus during the feast because they knew there might be a riot. I think they had a little bit of conscience going on there. Queen Elizabeth I once said, a clearer and innocent conscience fears nothing. If your conscience is clear, you've got nothing to worry about. But they were worried here because their conscience was speaking to them and telling them this is not a good choice to make, despite the fact that they made it. Now this choice is going to affect them powerfully. And then Mark tells us of this event beginning in verse 3. It says, and, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, this is Jesus, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. And we see two very important choices that are being made in these verses here. The woman, who John identifies in his gospel as Mary, the sister of Lazarus, she chooses to anoint Jesus with an entire flask full of pure nard. Now, the scripture says that it was very, uh, very valuable, right? That it was worth 300 denarii. I had to go doing a little bit of digging here, a little bit of research. And nard was actually an oil that was extracted from an Indian or an Arabic root. Now, that still didn't mean much to me in, in Western 21st century America, but this did. A denarii was a day's wage. 
So what she just did was the, the, the value of 300 denarii was 300 days worth of income. And it was just poured over Jesus' head. And he was anointed with that. This, this woman, Mary, chose to take probably the most valuable thing that they owned and used it to glorify God. That was her choice. And then Mark says that there were some who were indignant at this choice. But in, in John 12, beginning in, in verse 4, John is actually more specific about it. John says, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And John was obviously an eyewitness. And, and John was writing his own account many years later. And he was kind of able to backfill, you know, some gaps and things. If you've ever done that, if you've ever gone through a, an experience and then later on you mentally start to fill things in and go, Oh, oh wait, I see. I know, I, now I understand what was going on here. So John has the benefit of hindsight as he's writing this, and he's explaining the type of person that Judas was, and possibly why Judas really meant what he did. But Mark does say that there were some, and I believe undoubtedly, that there were some who agreed with Judas. They kind of fell in line behind him, for the reasons given. And, and the truth is, is that everything is a choice here. They looked at this choice that Mary made and made their own choice to not honor that and to not see the, the glory in what she was doing, but to look at, at their own selfish thoughts or their own emotion and respond that way. It says Jesus rebukes their protests. You know, he makes that point. You always have the poor. And, and he's right in that, and, and also in that they could go out the very next day and begin to, to honor the poor with whatever they have, with their service, with their money, with whatever it is. That's always going to be true. And if this rebuke was, was actually led by Judas, as John says, then some scholars wonder if it wasn't, when, when Jesus rebuked Judas, if this wasn't the tipping point that kind of hurt his feelings a little bit, kind of pushed him over the edge into what came next in Mark's Gospel. Mark 14, beginning in verse 10, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Again, we see a specific active choice to do something that either draws us closer to God or further away. Just as C.S. Lewis was describing in the quote earlier, Judas sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. Each of these people made choices along with many others throughout the events that are about to unfold here. Now right now, if you're anything like me, 
Sometimes I pray that you're not, just because I know how scary it is in my head. But if you are, okay, you may be doing a mental inventory in your head. Kind of what some people might call a highlight reel of your life. And wondering on your good choices and your bad choices. And human nature is kind of funny, because when this happens, at least again, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, I always seem to only remember the bad choices. I tend to not think as much about the good choices, right? I start going through the highlights in the past of, oh, I shouldn't, that shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just that thing that starts happening, and we, I think we, we all do this, we, we sort of linger more on those things. And anyone who's ever been asked this philosophical question before, hey, if you could go back in time, and relive your life over again, would you do it almost always has the same answer. Only if I knew then what I know now. Right? Because hindsight is 2020. If, if I knew in my 20s what I know now in my 50s, oh, yeah, there'd be a completely different person up here. But then God reminds me maybe I wouldn't be up here because I wouldn't be that person. When I met Angie, uh, she had just graduated from college in Orlando. Um, she had her mind focused on a, uh, a degree. She was going to become an attorney, and she had just moved back home to Bradenton, to our hometown, and she'd, um, she'd actually ended an engagement. And uh, she, had, she had made this decision that she needed to start making better choices. Her words, not mine, okay? And I did get her permission before I brought this up. And at the same time, I was a single dad. I had a nine-year-old son. We were sharing a bunk bed, living in my mom and dad's house. I was working two jobs, trying to pay off a, a mountain of debt, and I decided that I, too, needed to start making better choices. So I started going back to church. I started taking my son to church. I decided that I wasn't going to try dating anymore until I could figure out who I was, get myself right. Now, if you know our, our story, you know that um, Angie and I met working at the same mall. Uh, we were both working two jobs, and um, she worked at the bookstore because she's a reader, and I worked at the video game software store, which I know is a shock to most of you, right? But uh, and, and at night, um, when we were closing our respective stores, we would wave to each other as we were closing up. And a few of the guys that I worked with who were younger than me and single and, and had their eye on this cute redhead uh, across the hall started. And one of the guys even said, hey, I'm, I think I'm going to go ask her out. And he got shot down. And, um, and that was that. But uh, um, she at one point came over to the store uh, to talk. And so we talked for quite a while while she was on her break and she left and there was a guy working with me and he was married and he came up to me and punched me in the arm and he said, what's wrong with you? Do you need a brick to fall on your head? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, a girl like that doesn't come over to a place like this unless she's interested. And I said, and a guy like me? And he said, yeah. So I did eventually ask her out. Angie was very nice, she was very friendly, but Angie was keeping me at arm's length because 
she wanted to make better choices. Not saying I wasn't a better choice, but she, she wanted to kind of, she was focused on her bad choices in the past, and I was focused on my bad choices in the past. And I'll never forget this, this evening. It was our first sunset at Bradenton Beach. I could probably take you back to the exact spot. And we were just walking, just having a conversation, and I could tell she was kind of being distant. And finally, she just kind of stopped, and she looked at me, and she said, you don't understand. I have quite a past. I said, I have a nine-year-old son at home. I have a past, too. We all have a past. And I don't know who gave me this bit of wisdom that came out of my mouth. It has to have been God, because it certainly wasn't from me. But I said, our past defines us. It makes us who we are. The good choices... Okay. Am I on mute? There we go. <laughs> good choices and bad choices. Here's another choice for you. Make sure the batteries are good on your mic before you get started. <laughs> but again, I, I remember just saying to her, you know, that's who we are. Our good choices and our bad choices. And this year, we're actually celebrating our 24th wedding anniversary. And, you know, that, that was a, a good choice. It just was. Um, the, the good choices and the bad choices, they, they do mold us and they do shape us into who we are. And God can use anything. He can use you right where you are despite the, the good choices or the bad choices. Judas chose to betray Jesus for money. Now he may have been nudged by Satan. One of the Gospels says that Satan entered in, okay? But it was his choice. And yet God used that choice to accomplish what he needed to have happen. And you might be thinking, well, I've made some pretty bad choices. Maybe not Judas-level choices, but I have made some bad choices. And, you know, get in line. I think we all have. I want you to take, just take a minute and look at Peter. Look at the Apostle Peter, the rock, the foundation of Jesus' new church. In Mark uh, 14, beginning in verse 27, after the Last Supper, Jesus takes his disciples to the Mount of Olives. It says, and, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. I love Peter. 
I just do. <laughs> and Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. Not me, God. Peter stands face to face with Jesus. And he says, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And yet when the time comes, we all know what happened. Whether it's because of fear or uncertainty, survival instinct, a little bit of panic, something like that, Peter denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, three times. Just in order to save himself. It was a choice that he made. And yet, there is grace and mercy and forgiveness and you know I've said this before I think it bears repeating once your sins your bad choices are forgiven they're forgotten I think we have a hard time processing that and believing that as Christians you're not allowed to go back to the foot of the cross and take your sins back because they've been paid for they're not your sins anymore the gospel literally means the good news. The good news is that when Jesus had to choose, Jesus chose to die for us. Every action throughout his arrest and his crucifixion was a choice. Standing there before his accusers, being spit on, being struck, then the physical toll of, of the flogging and the crucifixion, that... That wasn't even the worst of it. Mark chapter 15, beginning of verse 33, says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Nima Sebachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The remarkable darkness that showed the agony of the separation between the Creator and the creation, the Father and the Son. Luke tells us in his Gospel that the Son was darkened, but Mark makes it clear that it stayed dark for three hours. There's a, a Roman historian by the name of Phlegon, I love that name, and in the fourth year, uh, he says this, in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, there was an extraordinary eclipse of the sun at the sixth hour. The day turned into dark night so that the stars in heaven were seen and there was an earthquake, just like the Gospels record. And Jesus died during Passover, which is held during a full moon. And, and what makes this event so amazing is that according to the website MrEclipse.com, again, I went and did some research here, an eclipse of the sun, or what we call a solar eclipse, can only occur at a new moon. It can't occur during a full moon. I wanted to try to find an image of it, but the, but the moon actually has to be dark facing us as it goes across and... Uh, and blocks the sun and that wasn't the case we had a full moon and yet it still miraculously happened this was no ordinary event it was a super
supernatural event. It was the agony of creation and the marking of that separation from God, the Father. And that's why Jesus cried out, Why have you forsaken me? He was quoting David from Psalm 22. He was experiencing separation from God the Father the only time in order to pay for the sins of all of us. It's that moment that Paul talks about in, in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Then it says in Mark 15, 36, and, and someone ran and, and filled a sponge with sour wine. They put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Some scholars believe that they miss, some of the people misunderstood when Jesus was crying out. He said, Eloi, Eloi, that they thought he was yelling for Elijah. But what's interesting is that the Romans used to mix myrrh with wine. That's why it was sour. And they used that to, to medicate, to, to numb the pain for those that were being crucified so that it would last longer, so that they could, you know, suffer longer. And Jesus turns it down. Jesus chose to face not only the physical pain and the agony, but the spiritual pain unmedicated as painful as the separation was for Jesus what it bought for us is shown in Mark 15 37 it says and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom Jesus lets out that that last cry that we talked about on Easter it is finished Paid in full, is what he was saying. And as John mentions that in his gospel, it's, it's remarkable because death by crucifixion happened by asphyxiation. You couldn't breathe. And so when people were crucified, they weren't talking toward the end right before death. They could barely breathe. They certainly couldn't talk. But Jesus cried out. Said his, you know, gave his last breath and then died immediately. And at some point then, before he died, the, the veil of the temple was torn in two. It was a, a spiritual transaction that, that, that took place. You know, God the Father set upon Jesus all the guilt and the wrath that our sin deserved, and Jesus bore it in himself perfectly, totally satisfying the wrath of God toward us. As horrible as that physical suffering of Jesus was the spiritual suffering that act of being judged for sin in our place was what Jesus really dreaded about the cross on the cross Jesus became as it were an enemy of God who was judged and forced to drink the cup of the father's fury he did it so that we wouldn't have to drink that cup he chose to do that it was his choice and the tearing of the temple veil is the veil that separated the, the general, the temple from the Holy of Holies, from the place that only the high priest could go into. It, it signified now that, that humankind has free access to the throne of grace by the cross. And no one 
should ever think again that God dwells in a temple made out of hands. He's in here. He's in each one of us. So, so why do bad choices still happen sometimes? If we have the Holy Spirit, if we've accepted Jesus, why do we sometimes still make bad choices? Well, I think the answer to that is actually if you turn back a page or two in Mark's Gospel, back to Mark 14, beginning in uh, verse 32. We read the account of Jesus taking his disciples to Gethsemane, to the garden. And he tells them to sit and wait while he goes to pray. And he takes Peter and James and John with him a little further. These are the same three guys who witnessed the transfiguration on top of the mountain, right? And Jesus admits that his soul is very sorrowful. I had to be careful about how to say that. I was practicing this yesterday and it was coming out so so sorrowful. And he asks them to remain here and watch as Jesus walks just a short distance away to pray. Now, we know the story, but ask yourself this. If you had been one of those three men who had witnessed the transfiguration, if you'd witnessed Moses and Elijah appearing, if you'd witnessed Jesus becoming so bright and white that that no bleach could match, if you remember hearing the voice of God the Father from the heavens saying, this is my son, listen to him. When Jesus says, hey, you three come away with me for a minute and stay here and watch, wouldn't you choose to watch? I mean, if you saw that last time, what are you going to see this time? If you heard that last time, what are you going to hear this time? What are you going to experience this time? Jesus falls to the ground and he prays to God the Father asking him to take this cup from him if it's at all possible. And after he's prayed, he he returns to these three of his closest disciples. It says, and he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I love that he calls him Simon. I don't know if he did that on purpose. I don't know if he always just called him Simon, but he just gave him the title of Peter, right? (laughs) The rock. And then the minute he falls a little short of that, Jesus comes up to him and calls him Simon instead, goes back to his old name, right? But Jesus again calls them to pray, to draw closer to God, like we talked about last week, the purpose of prayer, right? That they may not enter into temptation to make bad choices. He sums it up so succinctly here. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's the flesh it's, it's the worldly stuff. It's, it's all of that. It's our human nature. It, it, we give in to the world around us. And, and that's what causes us to make sometimes regrettable choices. Choices with our actions, choices with our words. But there's grace. 
and there's humility and there's peace and there's love and there's forgiveness there's tons and tons of forgiveness there's one last chooser that I want to look at today and this uh, as we as we close up here and, and there's a, this man is named Joseph of Arimathea and we know of Joseph we know that Joseph was the the one whose tomb Jesus was laid in right and it says this in Mark 15 beginning verse 42 when evening had come since it was the day of preparation that is the day before the Sabbath Joseph of Arimathea a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, up until this moment, Joseph is kind of a, a secret Christian. He's, he's interested and he's, he's looking for the kingdom of God, but he doesn't speak up until now. He decides to make a bold choice to step out in the open here. Luke tells us that, that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. This, this man had not consented to the things that the council did or the deeds of that group of people. But now he, he steps out into public as a follower of the Lord Jesus. When all the rest of the apostles were scattered, they'd gone undercover. And here's Joseph of Arimathea who stands up and chooses to ask for the body of Jesus. Imagine what this man risked from an earthly perspective. He risked his position. He risked his income. He risked the safety of his family. He risked everything to make a good choice. He's tired of being a secret Christian. So, that made me wonder. If someone were to meet me outside, in public, away from here, not knowing who I am, not knowing what I do, just a total stranger, if given the choice, would I choose to let them see Jesus in me? Whether that was through something I say, or through my actions, through mercy, through grace, through love, or would I stay a secret Christian? So my question is, what will you do next time you're given the choice? Will you choose Jesus? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for um, this day. Thank you for being here despite the technical difficulties, uh, in spite of those. May your word still reach those that it's intended for. May we all walk away being more conscious, conscious of our choices. Everything we do throughout the week, everything, every choice we make, may it reflect who we are because you are in us, because of the Holy Spirit in us. I don't want to be a secret Christian, God. It's easy to be a Christian here in this place with my brothers and sisters, with those who I know love you. 
I confess sometimes it's easier to keep my mouth shut out there rather than rock the boat. So Lord, I pray for boldness. Boldness that I would make the right choice at the right time to share the truth of your gospel, to love others unconditionally the way you've called us to. Lord, thank you for the mothers of our church. Today as we celebrate Mother's Day. Because so much of motherhood is a choice. How you raise your children, how you love them, how selfless you have to be in order to nurture and care for these children. And as they grow, the job changes. You become a mentor, you become a friend. But always, you become that person who reflects the love of Jesus. God, thank you for them. Thank you for you and for your love. Pray all this in your name.